0: welcome to what in the world my name is andre i'm being joined by ryan ryan how are you doing this fine thursday afternoon or evening in DC?
1: i'm uh, doing pretty well andre i'm a little numb uh only because i no. was at the dentist earlier today and so uh, unfortunately i had a cavity haven't had a cavity in a very long time uh, i got a floss man I, I do twice a day uh anyway so other than that doing well
0: I'm going on sun, on Saturday. I'm going on Saturday to the dentist. We'll see. I think I have some sensitive teeth, which prevent me from enjoying my sugary sweets as much as I could. But also, maybe I shouldn't enjoy sugary sweets. I'm still working on that weight loss thing. 18 pounds lost. That's in the crazy. Pocket, so I'm a new man.
1: I I I will say you do look great through the computer screen, but I did see you in person, uh, and you do look slimmer than ever. Um so good for you. I certainly ever. <laughs> well, <still. laughs> as long as I've known you, but <laughs> I need to jump on that as well. I have I do certainly do not uh have the uh metabolism that I once had and so
0: Not going to go back to being a
1: vegetarian. Oh no. It was really honestly to see if I could do it. Uh, and I did do it and I'm not going to do it again. So you live in New England.
0: <laughs> wow, um, you could have gone 40 days. I think that's uh, the I think length to build a new habit. Anyway, uh, Ryan, we have some news. Uh, so I awoke to a startle on Friday morning when I saw that my stocks had basically crashed down into the ground. And I wondered why. And apparently there's a new COVID variant, Omicron, or as it was formerly known as the new variant. But we can't call it the new variant because the Greek letter after new is Xi, which I think in Greek is pronounced Chi. But when we say it, we want to say G, and the G variant would not be politically enviable for the World Health Organization or other <laughs> public health experts, given that they don't want to piss off China. But we have the Omicron variant. In the short week that this variant has existed, or at least as we know that it has existed, uh, South Africa, which has a superb, I think, public health monitoring program sort of put in place, was really the first to report the existence of this. So as a reward for having such a good system, we decided to put a travel ban on South Africa and adjacent African countries, as did much of the rest of the world. Well, I think maybe about 100 countries have put some travel bans in. Europe put some travel bans in and so on. But uh, the fact is that Omicron was in Israel. It's in Europe. Now it's in the United States. So South Africa may have detected first, but it existed elsewhere. It south africa may not have been the origin of omicron
1: no i mean as we know andre this this COVID and its variants can travel quite easily and so once it's detected i mean it's it's pretty sure that it's going to be around the world before you can kind of get a grip on it and so as as you mentioned it's in europe it's in asia it's in the united states Uh, it has been as the latest that i've seen it's been found in california colorado and minnesota uh community transmission and so what we're seeing right now from experts in South Africa is they're saying that it's spreading faster than the Delta variant or earlier mutations. Not that it's maybe more dangerous, more deadly, but it's more transmissible. The transmission is higher uh, in Omicron than previous uh, variants. And so, again, there's, there's uncertainty that the WHO has said they're still investigating to whether to see... Um, comparing it to other variants but we have seen the implications already economic travel yeah economic
0: sure i mean if you if you've been investing in stocks i'll tell you it fell on friday quite severely when the when we found out about south africa then it sort of climbed back up for a bit but the moment we found out about the one case in california <sighs> crashed back down crashed back down so obviously The world is very jittery about the new variant we saw what happened with delta a lot of leaders around the world right now are pretty politically unpopular save angela merkel although she just did something that might make her a bit more unpopular but we'll get to that in a minute but everyone's jittery Uh, president biden immediately within a half an hour talking to his experts i think put that travel ban in but i think he said basically like hey we want to basically buy some time. We want to buy some time to figure out what we can do about this. Because Ryan, as he said, it's spreading like, it's going to spread, I mean, around the world. And we still don't know how severe it is. Some doctors have said, okay, it might be milder, but that's, you know, that's all speculation right now from, it's basically based on what they're seeing, but we need more data to, to reinforce that. We don't want to take a chance with data that, it's not that old or not that prominent. It's it's a
1: process we have to figure out and we have to let the scientists and the health experts do their jobs. And um, I've seen a lot of health executives, particularly when you look at pharmaceuticals say that they're already investigating it, trying to uh, develop vaccinations and other sort of uh, medical tools in order to deal with it. Um, But I think this is our new reality, honestly, is that it it may not ever actually go away. It just may mutate and evolve. And we're just going to, more people get vaccinated the more protection there is and so my thinking
0: is that if if it's true that omicron is milder and like it infects more people then you would sort of see it be phased out like the spanish flu to an extent a milder case of that virus uh basically breeding this i guess this herd immunity immunity in people but uh, we still don't know. We still don't have the confirmation that it is milder. So who really knows? And then who knows what the next mutation could breed? But uh, Ryan, do you see what's happening in Germany right yeah, now? Yeah, new,
1: there are new COVID restrictions for unvaccinated people.
0: Yeah, so uh, Angela Merkel and her successor, what's his name
1: again? Olaf Scholz.
0: Yeah, Olaf Scholz. Angela Merkel and Olaf Scholz, they have both agreed. Christian Democrats and Social Democrats to put in place basically a lockdown for those who are unvaccinated in Germany. So that's about maybe 30% of the population, 30, 35% of the population. Uh, They can't access public spaces. They can't access big public spaces, except for perhaps essential needs, like it's a grocery store. But Ryan, interestingly, big hubbub about Germany right now, a lot of people freaking out in Germany, a lot of people who are anti-vax in America are tweeting crazily about it. Interestingly, though, this is sort of what Sri Lanka did or was thinking of doing when I was there in August. They were thinking of putting in rules that would only allow the vaccinated to access public spaces, only the vaccinated. So I think Germany is sort of following that sort of playbook as well, because one, it motivates everyone to get vaccinated, show that the government's not playing games. And also important to note, The Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, as we see with the leaders Angela Merkel and Olaf Scholz, are both supporting this. There is—I mean, those are the two major parties—but there is generally bipartisan support, even though Germany is a multi-party system, which makes things like that easier.
1: But I think the the thing that we shall pay attention to is that the cases in Germany are have skyrocketed over the past ninety days, and so it's it's crucial that Germany do something to ensure. That we don't see this get out of control. It's not like in other places in the world where they've had it far better managed. It just it really has ballooned. So I think it's it was about you know 90 days ago in the in the hundreds or thousands, um, depending on the day. I think you know new cases were anywhere from like 4,000 to 10,000. Now it's up in the 50 to 75,000, depending on the day. It's I mean, crazy.
0: Yeah, I really hope we found that first case in California. I really hope it doesn't spread down south to San Diego. Like, really? Like, I don't want that. But uh, I really don't think the country could politically handle a lockdown right now. I don't think it's politically feasible. And, uh, yeah, I think the president just announced a new set of measures. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, it's always a fast-developing situation, fast-developing because the virus spreads fast. But, yeah, get vaccinated, get boosted. I got my booster two
1: weeks ago. I got my booster uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday. And, uh, you did good. I ran into CVS, it was very easy. Uh, and I am, I got inoculated. Um, and so I'm encouraging everyone listening if you have not already, go out and get your booster. Yeah,
0: get your booster. So, Ryan, uh, what else is happening? I saw some interesting headlines recently. Uh, one of which was that the Interpol has basically put in place this Emirati general who has had this reputation of violating human rights by engaging in torture tactics and so on. But this guy, UAE Inspector General Ahmed Nasser al-Raisi, he is the new leader of Interpol.
1: So for everyone listening, if you don't know what Interpol is, it's basically an international organization that uh, coordinates and cooperates with police in every country or the member countries, which is essentially every you know country around. And so it's, um, it's a very important body. And they, they do a lot of great work on investigations and dealing with transnational criminal organizations. Uh, and so when you have an individual who may not have the best human rights record lead such an organization it's kind of demonstrating to the international community that you're not taking it so seriously, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Ricey
0: basically has said that he wants to, quote, make a more transparent, diverse, and decisive organization in Interpol. And uh, that decision has been criticized by a range of human rights groups. I mean,
1: absolutely. And again, of course, you know, Interpol, there are flaws with Interpol because countries, you know, can issue red notices. And that means that any other country has to work with them to, you know, send them, extradite them back. Of course, that's an issue when you, if you think of Russia, anyone who knows about Bill Browder and Sergei Magnitsky, the whole Magnitsky Act, there was a red notice out on on Bill Browder, who's an international businessman. Anyway, it's, you know, if you want to... Well, Ryan, can you sort of explain to our listeners what the Magnitsky Act is? Yeah. So the Magnitsky Act, essentially, let me just set this up a little bit. So Sergei Magnitsky was a Russian tax advisor. um, And so he worked with, Bill Browder, who was an investor in Russia, an American and a UK citizen. Um, And basically, because of his investigation into kind of ill dealings within Russia, he was imprisoned. He ended up being killed while in prison for bad treatment, not access to any health. Uh, And so, after all of this, there was a a worldwide campaign led by Bill Browder uh, to enact what is now known as the Magnitsky Act uh, at the end of 2012. Basically, what it does is it Russian officials who are believed to be involved in this death from entering the US or involved in the banking system. And essentially what it has done is it's set up this framework that countries have adopted that essentially punishes those who are human rights offenders so that you can freeze their assets, ban them from entering countries. And so it's not that just the US that has adopted that Magnitsky-esque framework. We've seen it across the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Speaking of human rights, China, not a great stalwart of human rights. Uh, We've been seeing some developments in this case around the star tennis player Peng Shui. Uh, Basically, her case, it's been developing over the past few weeks. She's sort of been disappeared, per se, in China because she accused the vice premier, Zhang Gaoli, of basically sexually assaulting her uh, on social media. She deleted that social media post. The Women's Tennis Association stated that they will suspend all tournaments in China, including in Hong Kong. And uh, I think just today, uh, Peng Shui was actually on a call with the International Olympic Committee uh, saying that, OK, she's fine. She's doing fine. She's doing good. But obviously, she's in China. And the Chinese have been known to manipulate things like that, right? Like like a hostage video. <laughs> For example, you, you say you're fine as someone's holding a gun behind your head. Not saying that the Chinese are exactly doing that, but I mean, it's the same. It's basically what I think is going on with this case. And it's, this thing is really getting more of the media spotlight because China is going to be hosting the Winter Olympics in a few months. And we're seeing calls for boycott of the Olympics by U.S. policymakers. Some are calling for a total boycott. Some like Senator Mitt Romney are calling for a diplomatic boycott, so you don't, you know, hurt the uh, Olympians who have trained years to engage in these sports, but that you show your displeasure with China by not sending a delegation to the opening and closing ceremonies.
1: Yeah, I think that's completely fair um, to mention that these. This is what these athletes do. So you know, why should we punish these athletes who dedicate their lives to engage in in their sports, their respective sports? But I will say, Andre, this is uh, reportedly the first instance where. Uh, a member of like really just the top echelon of the Chinese Com- communist party has faced such an allegation. Uh typically we don't see individuals have the courage to bring forth allegations uh, against top officials because in China, I mean you will see disappearances or you know maybe you will be some sort of concoction of, of a crime against you or a family member when you criticize or bring up allegations against top-ranking party members. And so anytime China is preparing for a world event, they do crack down on social media and they do release out propaganda. And so this, of course, is a challenge for them as they prepare, of course, for the Olympics, but also you know, as they're trying to still kind of clean up the whole mess of covering up COVID. I also do want to
0: point out that uh, we, we have seen many tennis players actually express support for uh, Peng Shui. Uh Serena Williams has called on accountability to be held for those who have, you know, disappeared her. Novak the Djokovic has said that he also supports the WTA's boycott uh Billie jean king has spoken out and we've seen more tennis players be more outspoken about this issue i think in recent years we've seen some in basketball not been so <laughs> vocal about some of what china's been doing
1: but you can probably find those articles online i don't need to say who it is it's lebron james i'm happy to say who it is and i'm yeah, not happy james. about it i'm so not happy about it um particularly when you see ennis canter who's um who's yeah, what a guy Right. And it has been, you know, basically calling it out and saying what it is. And of course, there's like an arrest warrant out for him in Turkey, given his criticisms. And so, you know, we can put that all aside. Um, but it is, I mean, it's interesting, you know, Le- LeBron has a, such a big um, group of people that listen to him and follow him. And so the fact that he won't criticize China, and maybe will criticize other people who do criticize China is problematic. Uh, And at least in my opinion, for someone who has the platform. I mean, you're being so vocal.
0: You're being so vocal about many political issues in the United States, which you should be, uh, but you're basically refusing to criticize China, which has significantly (laughs) terrible issues. Then, well, that sucks. I mean, LeBron's been getting into some fights on the court recently, so uh, I think he has some bigger problems. Yeah, (laughs) I'm, I'm glad to see all these tennis players speak out, though. I think it's great that they are. Kudos to Serena Williams and Billie Jean King and Novak and all of those folks.
1: Djokovic. Just so for all the tennis fans Djokovic. who heard Andre botch that, I'm just going to, I'll, I'll say it. Clear. Sorry. No, you're good. Um,
0: all these names, man.
1: It's hard. I get it. Um, All right, uh, Andre, we've been talking a lot about Belarus and I just want to provide an update. So the US, EU, UK, and Canada have announced a new set of sanctions against Belarus, particularly for Belarusian entities, so state owned entities, but also individuals within the state apparatus. It's all kind of meant to pressure uh, Alexander Lukashenko, who is the president of Belarus, uh, because, of course, like in any country, despite Belarus being run in essentially a dictatorship, he does rely upon the state companies for revenue. He relies upon the, the bureaucrats for support. And so when you put pressure on them, see that pressure get extended upward.
0: Really? So so what's the update with what's happening with Belarus? Is there any Russian involvement that we're seeing? What we have been hearing about this migrant crisis and so on? Can you tell us a bit more about just like what's the state of play there?
1: Yeah, so we'll, so these sanctions in particular are in response to this migrant crisis we've seen uh, on the uh, border with Poland and also we see migrants fleeing uh, into the Baltics. Uh, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think these are, these are migrants coming from part, really mainly the Middle East that are going into Minsk the capital and then are being pushed uh to the the Polish border um and so it really is kind of like a it's it's warfare essentially you're you're using migration and the fear uh and the, the the what basically these people that are coming there are in desperate need they they need asylum in somewhere and so they're this kind of propaganda that's been pushed forward in the countries they live saying that you can go to Belarus go through Belarus and then go to the EU uh, via Poland for opportunity, and that it's just not the case. So they're being lied to. Uh, and this is a, basically a misinformation campaign. And as we've talked about, it seems like uh, the Kremlin is is involved. There's no real proof that they are directly involved, but it's all kind of all signs are pointing to it. Uh, this is also a, a tactic for Lukashenko, uh, who can put pressure on the West to end the, own, the, the already in place sanctions regimes. Uh, also try to get them to kind of back off on some other areas, such as support for Svetlana Sikanduskaya, uh, who is the opposition leader uh, in exile. Um, But there's a, I mean, there's a lot going on in the region right now, from this to escalation on the Russia-Ukraine border, where troops are being amassed. And, you know, Russia is basically saying that if if Ukraine escalates, then Russia will escalate, basically putting it in saying Ukraine's the aggressor, which that certainly isn't the case. Uh, And so there's, I'm I'm not sure you know who's taking advantage of what in this scenario, but what it does seem like is that it's mutually beneficial. Did you see
0: Lukashenko's interview? I think with the BBC recently.
1: I did. Uh, it's so the the BBC Boy. reporter is fantastic. I I follow a lot of his stuff in Russia. He's based in Moscow, I believe. He's a he's been a correspondent for many years, and it, it was just I I suggest everyone watch. We we can link it in the episode description. Masterclass, but, masterclass uh, in interviewing. I mean, it's terrifying. You are in a foreign country under a dictatorship and you're asking him point blank questions that no one gets to ask him. He has such control over the media and what gets said to him that I, I was, it was amazing to watch.
0: And it's basically, it's like the wannabe authoritarian gets frustrated with the question. So he starts like spewing out drivel and making threats about like varying NGOs. I've seen it happen with certain Sri Lankan political leaders as well, when they get really pushed back on by certain journalists but this is such a master class in interviewing and i i really think that everyone should go and watch this interview on the bbc it is so important to watch i mean he gets called out he gets called out and very defensive
1: so uh, again i think sanctions um can sometimes be very effective and so we'll see just how effective the new sanctions regime will be brian we also I, I do want to point out that everyone should be paying attention to uh What's been
0: going on with the summit of democracies, uh, President Biden's summit of democracies? Uh, I think last week we talked a bit about some of the exclusions that have been made for that summit of democracies. We quoted some people. But uh, China and Russia uh, have not been too happy about this. They have. I think China's been saying, oh, it's a meaningless thing but they have really been working up the communications game in terms of trying to slam it. Ryan, you sent me some article recently, right? I think it was with the National Interest or something. What was it
1: that two ambassadors had written? Oh, so it was essentially an article written by the Chinese ambassador to the US and the Russian ambassador to the US. And um, analysts who have gone through it have said that it was primarily likely written by the Chinese ambassador to the US, basically saying that the summit of democracy is you know uh just fake and it's not it's it's kind of concocted by the u s to demonstrate that you know they're the only way forward and that you know other countries don't also provide democ- democratic esque aspects of course you know China does not claim to be a democracy the outwardly disavowed quote unquote democracy russia on the other hand does claim to be a democracy I can say this. Confidently, it is, is not a democracy. And so the article essentially is just filled with whataboutisms and kind of a basically justifying the positions of China and Russia vis-a-vis the US and how that basically, given what occurs in the United States, that the US is a hypocrite and the kind of the typical things you see. I'm just shocked that the national interest ran something so ludicrous.
0: Well, I mean, we see plenty of journalists. Uh, journalistic outlets run very ludicrous things. But I guess, I mean, you know, I, I guess it is a very valuable piece to publish just because otherwise Americans would not see, you know, what is going on in the minds of those particular governments. I think there is certainly value to understand what, you know, our adversaries are saying about is what our adversaries want to communicate with us. I remember, I don't remember, I was in lie, but in the 1980s, you'd often have these summit meetings between Reagan and Gorbachev, where Reagan would deliver a speech to the Soviets, and Gorbachev would give a televised appearance to the Americans. And I think, I think it is very important to, it, it helps us better understand these issues, but also helps us to understand what are the criticisms, and how can we respond to the criticism, right? It's an exercise in figuring out how can we win these arguments how can we voice our views much better to the world
1: i'll just let me point out a, a crazy line at least to me you're right andre i agree that you know it is it is important to hear the other side um even if you think it's complete crap yeah i, I you're right i agree uh, i was a bit was a bit aggressive there um but it, it is important to hear from them of course they have their own propagandized outlets state that do it all day long but in the united states americans should be aware of what is being said but let me just quote one part of it it says china and russia call on countries to stop using quote-unquote value-based diplomacy end quote to provoke division and confrontation to practice mutual respect and win-win cooperation in international relations and to work for harmonious coexistence between countries with different social systems ideologies histories cultures and development levels all of that sounds nice but the the quote unquote value based diplomacy is very interesting and the the idea of mutual respect which we i don't think we see at all by either of these countries as they as they their policy towards the united states but the idea of value based diplomacy of course you know the us has values and interests that it does promote abroad but those are in direct contravention i mean opposite to to that of russia and china Who aren't seeking to build up countries at all they are just seeking to take advantage whether it's economically or politically and so it's just i mean i just laughed when i read that
0: yeah i mean i laugh at a lot of things i read to be honest these days but unfortunately when we laugh at such things too many people will believe those sad lies unfortunately you know
1: i i think it would be great if the u.s had a response to this i i haven't seen one yet but if you know maybe ambassadors or someone from the State Department or someone from the White House had a response to this to kind of, you know, as a reply would be, would be nice to see. in the national interest. I, I yeah. think, I mean, that's public diplomacy right there. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's important. It's a, it, listen, at the end of the day, it's, it's a conversation. It's not about, I mean, you can't really do right and wrong here. You're never going to win that way. It's about who can make the best argument and who can persuade the most people. Because at the end of the day, you have all these countries who need to persuade other countries and the citizens within those countries that their ideas are better than the other, that their system is more advantageous or will lead to more prosperity, economic equality, and all the, all the things that we all seek.
0: Uh, speaking of China, Ryan, did you hear those, I'll, para- I'll say it, rumors, rumors about that Ugandan airport thing that the Chinese had taken over Ugandan airport because Uganda had defaulted on loans? Do you hear about it?
1: I did see, I did, I did read an article uh, well, about well, it's the false. debt default.
0: It's false. Really? It's false. I mean, China has rejected that. Uh, I think Uganda has also rejected it. But there were some weird headlines that were making the rounds on social media and so on. But I mean, there hasn't been, the Chinese have not taken over that Antebei airport. They have not. As of now, they haven't. But I just want to point that out because I've been seeing it quite a bit. But I think both parties have basically rejected that. I mean, sure, Uganda has big loans. And has big debts. I mean, we've been talking about Sri Lanka with debt trap diplomacy, and we have some, you know, thoughts about the validity of the idea of debt trap diplomacy. But uh, I mean, the Ugandan officials and the Chinese officials have both denied these reports. I just want to point
1: that out. I I, honestly, I could have believed it. I was in Uganda four or five years ago, and every major project, Mm -hmm. from infrastructure to commercial buildings to shopping centers, was Chinese. And so, I mean.
0: Yeah, with Sri Lanka, it, so it's yeah.
1: it's not crazy to think that this could happen, but I'm, it's good to know that you know at least they, the misinformation was dealt with.
0: Yeah, I mean because we talk so much about death trap diplomacy, but again, I mean one of the things I tried to do with my thing in Sri Lanka was I tried to under uh, identify the validity of the death trap diplomacy argument because with death trap diplomacy, you assume that the other countries, the countries that are being invested in, uh, have no onus about their own faith. Which I think we had to understand that a lot of Uganda, Sri Lanka, many of these other countries are active in the choices they make, and uh, some of their choices may be very, 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 very flawed. But it's the nature of that bilateral relationship. Ryan, uh, before we go, I do want to point on one thing. We've been seeing that political controversy, right, between Ilhan Omar and Lauren Bobard, and we've been—I mean, you know—we talk a lot about national security and so on, but the remarks, by. Congresswoman Beaubart are just simply disgusting uh, and horrifically Islamophobic. And, I mean, you know, you may disagree with, you know, Congresswoman Omar about, you know, a range of issues, whether it's on foreign policy or domestic policy, but to attack someone based on their religion, their race is flagrantly disgusting. And I would really hope that other people in the Republican Party are willing to condemn this.
1: Absolutely, I've had a lot of conversations about this incident, and i its its appalling that not only another person, but a sitting member of Congress, would say such racist, disgusting, Islamophobic things, and double down on them. It's—it really is. Yeah. It's, it's sad. It really is sad that in Shameful. in America, uh, that we that we see such things. I mean, she—you know—again, put your political beliefs aside. I—I I don't agree with a lot of things, and I'm happy to say it here that Ilhan Omar believes in for her platform. That doesn't mean I don't respect her. I, I, she's an American. She's serving her country. She you know, has a, a whole constituency of people that she works for every day. And so the just the, the bigotry and the hatred has no place.
0: Absolutely. And I just wanted to point that out just because we talk so much about say Middle Eastern politics. We've talked about all of these different challenges and stuff, but it's important to speak out about these things, especially when it's so flagrant and disgusting. But anyway... Ryan, uh, that's it for us. Uh, this coming Monday, we have a great episode with Russ Travers, uh, who was President Biden's former Deputy Homeland Security Advisor. I got that right. He talks a lot about sort of handling the Afghanistan situation and SIVs, the Special Immigrant Visas. Uh, we've had a great, great November. We had Gina Bennett on, General David Precious, who was a former CIA director, Tara uh General Stanley McChrystal, and former Undersecretary of defense for policy, Michelle Flournoy, one of our best months yet.
1: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, Andre. I'm excited as we're heading into the holiday season to have even more uh, fantastic conversations. And so thank you all for listening to this week's edition of What in the World. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on social media at Pod. And until next time.